0: Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Been out the past two weeks, so it feels like it's been a while. Uh, So I guess I was sort of here last Sunday. I was up on the screen though for a little bit, and uh, but it's good to be back with you guys. Um, And uh, I don't think I'm going to be gone for any Sundays in the foreseeable future. So, Um, so this morning uh, we're going to be continuing through our series. We've been uh, reading through the Bible, uh, the uh, the Bible reading plan, and uh, this week's reading included Luke chapter 12, and so our passage is going to be uh, from Luke chapter 12. Uh, on the seats when you came in, there were uh, sermon notes, so if you want, there's an outline there and you can follow along with that. Uh, there should uh, there should be one in your seat when you walked in, so you're free to do that. Luke chapter 12 is going to be our passage. Um. Before we read the passage, um, I was reading a story this week uh, about, I'd never heard this story before, maybe some of you have, but in, in February 2003, uh, what's been called the Jewelry Heist of the Century was pulled off. Um, it was called the Antwerp Jewelry Heist. Anybody heard of it? Yeah, so it happened in Antwerp, Belgium, and a guy named, I'm going to try to say his name, Leo Notarbartolo. And four accomplices made off with over $100 million worth of diamonds and jewelry and, and gold. So like over $100 million. That's a pretty uh, big heist. And what was crazy is that the place that they stole it from was uh, basically like a, a, a diamond um, vault. Uh, that was two floors below uh, the main floor of this office building. It was uh, guarded and protected by a lock with 100 million possible combinations it had infrared heat detectors, a seismic sensor. I don't even know what that is. Uh, Doppler radar and a magnetic field. Like I, That's a lot of stuff. And uh, it also had its own security force, like its own private security force that just run around. And somehow these guys were able to infiltrate it and they were able to steal over $100 million worth of jewelry. And basically what happened is they rented a... Uh, office space in the building, and he posed as a diamond trader for several months and became trusted by the security force. And that's apparently how they were able to get around it. Uh, but he did get caught, and he went to jail. So it was a sad ending for that guy, for Leo. Um, but you know, as credible as as incredible as that is, there's an even greater act of thievery happening right under our noses in our lives. Just like those diamonds were stolen right out from under the nose of the authorities there in Antwerp. This thing, it steals our time, it steals our joy in God, it steals gratitude, and it can even keep us from faith in Christ that is necessary for forgiveness and eternal life. And its name is worry, also known as anxiety. We worry about all sorts of things, don't we? I was thinking about a list of the different things that we worry about. There's death and dying, that's probably right up there at the top of the list. worry about our careers our jobs, worry about our health, the health of our family members or our friends, we worry about our safety, the safety of our children, we worry about money, we worry about the, the possibility of failure, We worry about what other people think about us, we worry about whether or not we're saved. I mean, the list is just endless, isn't it? There's all sorts of things that we find to worry about. And this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34, where Jesus speaks directly to this issue of worry and anxiety. So why don't you turn there if you haven't yet, and I'm going to read Luke twelve, twenty-two to 34. This is the word of God. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. What a powerful passage we just read. So many incredible promises. God, I pray for every single person who walked in here this morning with worry and anxiety, weighing them down, pressing in on them. I pray that when they leave this morning, that those chains would be broken and that they'd be set free. I pray that you would, like we just sang, you would give us grace. Oh, for grace to trust you more, Jesus. Give us grace. Help us to trust you more. God, I pray that your word would come and land on our hearts in power this morning, that these that we would realize that these promises are rock solid, that they've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, please come and, and speak to us this morning. Help me, God, as I preach. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Jesus, please use me in my weakness. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, the problem with the way that, we, that people view worry is that they tend to see themselves as victims of worry rather than as offenders who are responsible. Usually we think of ourselves as victims when it comes to worry. Uh, it's, it's seen as something that's happening to us rather than something we actually have some control over, something we can decide not to entertain. But it's apparent in this passage that Jesus thinks that worry isn't just something that happens to us. We're not mere victims. We actually play a part in worry. And we need to rightly understand the problem so that we can receive the solution. So I want to, uh, before we kind of look at, at how Jesus deals with the problem of worry, let's look for a minute at the root of worry, which is going to be the next part on your outline. So the first thing we see in this passage is that worry disobeys God. Worry disobeys God. You see right there, Jesus says, do not be anxious. That's not a suggestion from Jesus. He says, hey guys, maybe you should you know, try not being anxious next time. He actually says, don't be anxious, which implies that there's a moral component to worry. It, and it implies that uh, Jesus is saying that we can actually choose to not worry. There are certainly cases where anxiety is a legitimate psychological disorder. It can be helped by treatment, but we need to be aware of attributing to a disorder what is actually sinful disobedience in our lives. You see, when we indulge worry, we're disobeying Jesus' command right here not to worry. And I think sometimes we just need to come face to face with that, not to beat ourselves up, but to recognize that it's not a place that we should stay. Like, like we can't just resign ourselves, well, I've just got worries just a part of my life. This is always going to be how I am. I was born with it, you know, genetically or what have you. And so this is all, I'm just going to stay here for the rest of my life. We, we don't have to resign ourselves to that. Jesus actually offers us hope and he offers us a, a way out of worry here in this passage. So worry disobeys God. Secondly, we see in this passage that worry distrusts God. In verse 28, Jesus says, If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You notice that part right there on the end? Jesus connects worry to unbelief. Worry is a trust issue. Now, if I were to ask most of you who are Christians in this room if you trust God to keep his promises, you would probably all say yes, right? But if your life is constantly being overcome by worry— What does that communicate about what you really believe? See, when you worry, what you're really doing is saying that you don't trust God to be God. So you try to put yourself in God's place, and what ends up happening is you wring your hands and lay in bed for hours obsessing over something that you ultimately have no control over. Worry is like trying to play God. And what's sad about it is that we're not very good at being God because we're sinful and we're finite. We we just we shouldn't try to step into that role. We're not created to do that. We're not good at running the universe. So worry disobeys God. Worry distrusts God, and then thirdly, worry dishonors God. You know, if if my wife didn't feel safe when she was out in public with me, uh, or if she didn't trust me when I said that I would do something, that wouldn't make me feel very good, right? It wouldn't make me feel special it would not honor me it would it wouldn't make me feel loved when we disobey and we distrust god's promises we're actually dishonoring god and that's why worry is sin we're created to honor god and to give him glory but worry does the exact opposite it denies the very goodness and greatness of god and yet worry is also frustrating isn't it it's frustrating because it's it's not you know If you've got a problem with, you know, stealing and you just like to steal all the time, there are actual steps you can take to stop it, right? Stop stealing. But it's it's not that simple, is it, to just, hey, just stop it. Stop worrying, right? It would be nice if there was a switch that we could just flip, wouldn't it be? If we could just flip a switch and stop worrying, that would definitely make it a lot easier. The good news is that even though we may feel stuck in our worry and anxiety, Jesus does provide a way out. While worry is a sin and it's dishonoring to God, God is incredibly gracious and patient with us. I thought about Psalm 103, verses 10 and 14 as I was preparing. Just listen to the word of God. It says that God does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. That's good news, isn't it? Verse 14 says that he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. I love that. Like God knows, it's like, it's almost like God's like, I, I know you're weak, I know, and it's okay, I'm here for you, I'm not going to deal with you according to your sins or repay you according to your iniquities. God is so patient with us and he's so gracious towards us, even though worry is something that for many of us we constantly struggle with. So there's incredible hope here in God's word. And There's three specific truths that Jesus gives in Luke 12 to drive out worry out of our lives and so uh, we're going to look at those one at a time and this is the next part on your outline okay and the first truth that Jesus gives to drive out worry is that God's kingdom is unfading God's kingdom is unfading so in verse 22 Jesus says therefore I tell you that first word should stop us in our tracks whenever you see the word therefore in scripture you should stop and ask yourself what is it therefore Right. When, when, when we see the word therefore, it will always point us to what was said previously. So essentially what it means is that what was just said is the basis for what is about to be said. For example, I might say I ate two omelets for breakfast, therefore I don't want a buttered croissant back there in the back, even though they're delicious. This is your free English lesson, lesson for the weekend. The reason I point this out is because this is an ongoing conversation, right? So the text that we just read, Jesus is actually building off of a conversation that's already been ongoing from the beginning of chapter 12. Jesus has just told a parable. He told the parable of a rich fool who acquired wealth. And he had so much of it that he decided to build bigger storehouses so that he could store and hoard more of his wealth. But look at the result in verse 20 and 21 of Luke 12 says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So what Jesus was teaching in the parable of the rich fool is that it's foolish to spend your life acquiring what you cannot keep. It's foolish to spend your life acquiring what you cannot keep. So when Jesus follows this up in verse 24, 22 with, therefore, do not be anxious, he's saying it's also foolish to spend your life worrying about losing what you cannot keep. It makes no sense. If, if you're not going to keep it, therefore, don't be anxious, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. In verse 23, Jesus says, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. In other words, this life is not all there is. But too often we act like it is, don't we? And we spend probably 98% of our time thinking about the here and the now, the temporal, the things that are going to pass away. And we spend precious little time far too often thinking about the kingdom of God, what's going to last forever. Now it makes sense that someone who has no hope beyond this life would worry and try to cling to temporal things as much as they can. There's nothing else for them to look forward to. That's the reality for every single person apart from Jesus. And that's why our society is becoming more and more stressed and anxious by the day. Uh, Time Magazine uh, had a story in 2018, and the headline of the story was, 40% of Americans are more anxious than they were at this time last year. 40%. Also in that same article... Uh, I read that anxiety is three times more common in high-income countries than low-income countries. Three times more common in high-income countries. So what does that tell us? It tells us that more money, more stuff, more security actually doesn't fix the problem, does it? It's not It's not something we can fix by changing the outside. It, it tells us that this is a, a heart problem. I read uh, another, a couple of other uh, statistics. Uh, right now, one in five adults have what would be some sort of anxiety disorder, as what you know psychologists would call anxiety disorders. So one in five adults are struggling with anxiety. Uh, and then uh, in a poll where adults who were uh, asked uh, to name the reasons that they struggle with anxiety, uh, the top three reasons in order were they're anxious about health, safety, and finances. Their health, their safety, and their finances. And notice that those top two health and safety have to do with life. Life is slipping through people's fingers like they're trying to hold water in the cusp of their hands. And they and they know it and they and they can't they can't hold it. It's it's draining out. But as followers of Jesus, we have resurrection hope. We've got the equivalent of an entire ocean of water right in front of us in Christ. So why would we worry about the water that's slipping through our fingers when we've got an entire ocean right there? Adrienne Siegel is a Christian writer, and I love how she put it uh, in in an article she wrote for Desiring God. She said, God has erased all uncertainty about my future by adopting me as his own, and the future is amazing. God has erased all uncertainty about our future. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that means your future is absolutely guaranteed. And it's amazing. It's awesome. In fact, uh, Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 uh, describes it. It says that on that day when when Jesus comes back, because Jesus has risen from the dead and because he's coming back to make all things new, to reverse the effects of, of sin on this world, that On the day when he returns, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's our future. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says that the glory that awaits us is beyond all comparison. So no matter what your circumstances look like right now, if you are in Christ, your future is amazing. We may not understand all of God's ways, but we know he causes all things to work together for our good. God's kingdom is unfading. And that's a truth that causes our worries about things that are passing away to pass into the background. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. God's kingdom is unfading. The second truth that drives out worry that we see in this passage is that God's sovereignty is unlimited. God's sovereignty is unlimited. Look at verses 24 to 26. Jesus says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So, Jesus points to an example from creation by calling us to look at the ravens. Now, ravens were unclean birds uh, in Jewish culture. So, basically, Jesus was trying to think of the the least lovable and most worthless animal he could think of here when he's trying to use uh, to, to drive home a point. He's saying that God feeds these ravens, even the most random bird that you could think of. Like I was thinking this week when I was reading this, and, and just that phrase, God feeds them. Like somewhere out in the Yukon territory right now, like in the middle of nowhere where there's not a single human being, there's some bird who's finding a worm for breakfast this morning, and it happened because God did it. God orchestrates every single thing that moves on this planet. Not a single thing on this planet moves a single inch without God willing it to be so. That's really amazing. And, and what's Jesus' point? His point is that birds don't stay up at night anxious about how they're going to find their next meal. They don't have a, state, a savings account where they store up food. They're simply just provided for every single day. Every day they're provided for. And Jesus says it's God that's providing for them. God did not create the world and then step back to let the world run itself. He's in absolute and total control. I love the, the famous quote by Abraham Kuyper. He said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine, not one square inch. And when we worry, we do so under the illusion that we're in control. Look at what Jesus asks in verse 25. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I read a joke this week, and I'm going to tell it because I thought it was funny. It said, an exasperated husband asked his wife, Why are you always worrying when it doesn't do any good? She quickly piped back, Oh, yes, it does. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. Jesus's point is that worry doesn't do any good, does it? And oftentimes it's a big waste of time because 90% of what we worry about never actually even happens. Not only does worry not do any good, there's scientific research that says it actually harms us physically. Like it actually causes your blood pressure to rise. It can cause heart issues. There's there's a reason for that. That's not an accident. You know why? Because God created us to trust him. God did not create us to be anxious. He did not create us to worry. He never meant for us to try to put the load of our life on our own shoulders. It was always meant for us to walk step by step in trust with Him, in trusting Him to everything. That's why worry breaks our bodies down physically, because we're not designed to do it. The fact that God is sovereign can bring great comfort. But when you connect this last point that we're about to get to with the sovereignty of God, it, it makes it exponentially more comforting. God's kingdom is unfading, God's sovereignty is unlimited, and God's love is unrestrained. God's love is unrestrained. Look at verses 29 to 32. Jesus says, don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's true that God is a sovereign, majestic king who holds infinite power. It's true that nothing on this planet moves an inch apart from his decree. But if you are a Christian, this same all-powerful, sovereign God is also your Father in heaven. He is your Abba. He is your Daddy. And He loves you. Just as any good father would do, He wants to protect, you, to, to protect you and provide for you. And because He is infinite in power, it is easy for Him to do so. Nothing and no one can stop Him from protecting you and providing for you. And not only that, He delights in doing so, Jesus says. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is not stingy. He does not reluctantly save. He does not reluctantly provide for us. I have a vivid memory of going out to my car my senior year of high school. Uh, Some of you know my story. Some of you don't. Um, I I didn't get saved until I was 24 years old. And up until that point, um, I had a pretty rough life. Um, I was uh, miserable, depressed depraved. Um, I got into a lot of trouble, and I put my parents through a lot, Um, and I have a, a, I had been in a big fight with my dad. It was all my fault. Uh, I had recently been arrested. I was a mess. I was so disrespectful to my parents, and I had put them through so much, and, and I had been, I had been that morning particularly disrespectful to my dad, and I went out to my car that day at lunch, and I opened it to find that my dad had come and left a letter in there telling me how much he loved me. (laughs) And there was $100 for gas money. That's one of the most vivid examples of grace I've ever experienced in my life. I'll never forget that. You know what? I didn't get saved until six years later, but that left an imprint on my mind, and I believe God used it, and it was another seed that was sown in my life to show me his grace. Listen, church, when you trust in Jesus... You are adopted as a child of God. I just feel like there's probably some people in here this morning who you've trusted in Jesus, you're born again, but maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you know that you have not been walking with God and you know this morning that you're not right with God and you doubt whether or not he really cares about you anymore or whether he's really going to provide for you or whether he hears your prayers can I just remind you this morning that God does not abandon the children that he adopts? He doesn't abandon the children he adopts. Despite the fact that you might be struggling and the fact that you might have been straying away, he's, it's still his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He still wants to. He still loves you. Come back to him this morning. God will never leave you or abandon you no matter what. He delights over doing you good even when you don't deserve it. And the reality is we never deserve it, do we? Every single day I wake up, I don't deserve any of the goodness that God showers on me. And you know, the way that we can have this confidence that God loves us, you know what it is? Why can we know that God loves us? Even in the midst of, uh, of maybe our sin. Romans 5.8 tells us, says that God demonstrated, He gave a visual display. God demonstrated His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Two verses later, verse 10 says that God we were reconciled to God while we were still His enemies. Jesus came to die the death that we deserved for our sin. We incurred a sin debt that deserved death, and Jesus paid it all. And then He rose from the dead, and whoever trusts in Him will be forgiven of their sins and receive eternal life. You'll be adopted as a child of God. So Jesus is teaching us here in this passage that if God is your Father, you don't have to worry about whether or not He'll do good to you. It's His good pleasure to do so. And if He's taking care of your eternity, you can trust Him to take care of the dinner table, or your bank account, or your future marriage. Or the health of your family, as Romans eight thirty two puts it, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? What Paul is saying there is if, if, if God paid the ultimate price to rescue you from your sin, the precious blood of Jesus was shed so that you could be reconciled. Do you really think? Do you really think that He's not going to provide food for you? That He's not going to provide clothes for your body? He will. He loves you. If you're a child of God, you have no reason to worry. The unlimited sovereignty of God and the unrestrained love of God form an impenetrable wall that worry cannot breach. And these truths, when we grasp them, have incredible implications for our lives. Jesus actually gives us a a couple of them. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. You see this connection that Jesus is making here in this passage? When we realize that we can trust God to provide for our temporal needs, we suddenly loosen our grip on them. We stop hoarding. We stop worrying about whether or not we'll have enough because we know we'll always have enough because our Father in heaven, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, is perfectly capable and willing to provide for us. So we don't have to cling tightly to the things of this world. We don't have to, we don't have to in fear, turn inwardly. Instead, we can be generous. We can generously give. The level of, de- of generosity that you demonstrate in your life actually says a lot about how much you truly trust God to provide for you. How generous are you being in your life right now? Let me tell you, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. I've experienced that firsthand. There is so much more joy in living open-handedly than having a tight fist. Can anybody say amen to that? You experienced that in your life? So these truths, they free us to generously give and they also free us to truly live. Look at verse 30 and 31. Jesus says, all the nations of the world seek after these things, these things meaning the temporal things, and your father knows that you need him. Instead, so instead of chasing after the things that God is already going to provide for you anyways, instead of focusing all your time on worrying about your budget, worrying about your safety, worrying about your health, instead of worrying about that Seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and God will add all those other things to you. God will take care of and provide those other things. When we stop worrying about things that will not last, we're free to live for what will. We can give our lives to what really matters. We can store up treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. You know, I believe that worry and anxiety are robbing many Christians of the joy of living for what really matters. We spend so much time worrying. I read a study this week that said that the average person spends up to five years of their life worrying. Five years. Now, I don't know scientifically how true that is, but it can't be that far off because I know we spend a lot of time worrying. Millions of Christians spend hours trying to control what they can't control, and then they say they have no time to serve God. This is especially relevant in a city like D.C., guys. Hours upon hours are spent in a frenzy trying to outwork the competition, trying to advance our careers, trying to make enough money to pay our expensive mortgages and for our expensive cars, all for a position that we will lose, for money and possessions that will decay. For a house that's not going to last. What would happen if you stopped trying to di- dictate the outcome of your life and you started trusting your all-powerful, all-loving Father? How would that change your life? I think you'd find that you'd have a lot more time to serve Him and to serve other people. The weight of the stress and the anxiety that you were carrying around would be lifted off of your shoulders. The joy that's been eluding you would come flooding in. What is it that you're so worried about? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's finding a spouse. Maybe it's how your body looks or the results of a medical test you're waiting on. You can come to Jesus for rest this morning. He loves you. He's sovereign and in control. We have a rock-solid hope that our circumstances cannot change. Listen to God's word in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. It says blessed is the man who trusts in the lord whose trust is the lord he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit god can sustain and provide even in the heat and even in the drought Let me close with a couple of practical things that you can start doing this week to address worry in your life. Number one, remember God's past faithfulness. Remember God's past faithfulness. Consider how many prayers God has answered in your life. Consider how he's never let you go without. Consider how you had breakfast this morning and you most likely had a roof over your head last night. Remember how he's provided for you. Maybe that means you need to write down all those instances in your past of God's faithfulness. Take some time this week in, one of your, in your quiet time in the morning to just sit down and, and make a list of all the ways that God has been faithful to you. Spend some time praising and thanking God for all of the good that he's done to you. So many times we get focused on everything that's not going right and we spend too little time praising God and thanking God because he's worthy of being praised and thanked. Another way we remember God's faithfulness is by taking the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a few moments. When we take the bread and the juice, it's a physical reminder to reflect upon God's love for us in Christ. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to remember Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. That's a powerful way to drive out worry from our lives. The second practical thing I'll give you is, To turn worry into prayer. Turn worry into prayer. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. When you face uncertainty, you can try to fix things yourself, or you can fixate on God by taking your worries to Him in prayer. Do you know what the result is when we pray about things instead of worrying? The result, Paul actually gives us a result in the next verse in verse 7. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I remember, I, I told you guys I was saved when I was 24. And the way that God saved me uh, was, uh, I had a background in church. And I, had, you know, I knew Bible stories. I knew you know, I actually knew the Bible fairly well. But I just never had a relationship with Jesus myself. And I was hitting rock bottom, and I got to the point where I really wanted to know uh, if God was real and how I could know him. And so I started reading the Bible for the first time in my life because I really wanted to know God. I was like, all right, God, I want to know you. And I started intentionally going to God's word. That transformed my life. If you are on a journey right now and you'd say, like, you're still not sure if you know God yet or you're still not sure if you're a believer or you're not sure if you can trust God, can I just tell you, go home and start reading the Bible. And before you do, pray and ask him, God, I want, please show me if you're real and how I can know you. Reveal yourself to me in your word. I promise you he'll do it if you mean it. He did it for me. And one of the passages he used was Philippians 4.7. I remember reading about that peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And my anxious soul that was in turmoil, that, that hated myself, that, that couldn't find peace anywhere, I longed for that. I read that and I said, oh God, I want that. Do you want that this morning? Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you say, I want, I long for that peace that surpasses all understanding. You can come and receive it today. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You don't have to do anything to make yourself right with God. You don't have to do anything to, uh, to be worthy of His forgiveness. You don't have to go make anything right. The only thing you need to do is confess your sin Turn from it and say, Jesus, I trust in your death and resurrection on my behalf for my sins. Please come into my life. Please adopt me into your family. You do that this morning and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can flood into your heart today. You can walk out of here having laid those burdens and that anxiety right here in your seat. Do you want to do that this morning? Are you, do you really want to keep carrying around that weight on your shoulders? Why would you when Jesus offers you peace? When Jesus offers you life, eternal life. Come this morning and receive the grace of Jesus Christ. Church, if you're already a believer, you're struggling with worry, turn it to prayer. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will flood your life too. Every time you start to fear whatever it is that you're worried about, whatever it is that you're anxious about, Quite literally, like, what you need to do this week is as soon as that thought comes into your mind, like 1 Corinthians says, you need to take that thought captive, and as soon as you recognize that you're worrying, you just need to stop right there, and even if you're at work, just pray in your head, right? Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Go memorize Scripture. Go memorize the promises of God and compete and, uh, and battle against those lies with the truth of God's Word. Maybe you need to memorize the passage that we just looked at this morning in Luke chapter 12. It's a great one to memorize. Wherever you're at this morning, I want to invite you to come and experience the peace of Jesus. I'm going to ask uh, Carrie and, and the band to come up, and we're going to respond to the message this morning by partaking of the Lord's Supper. And As I, as I said, we, we take the Lord's Supper to remember the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out for us. And we also are proclaiming Jesus' death when we take the Lord's Supper. We're quite literally preaching the gospel when we partake of this meal. This meal symbolizes our, our union with Christ. When we take it, we're saying that His body was broken and His blood was shed on my behalf. He took my place. His death was my death, which means that His resurrection is my resurrection. So that's why if you're not a Christian, though, this morning, it's not appropriate for you to take the Lord's Supper. Uh, but what you can do, if you are not a follower of Jesus, what you can do is what I just talked about. If you are ready to receive the peace of Jesus for the first time today, if you're ready to lay down your anxiety, to lay down the sin that, so, that has been weighing you down, if you're ready to lay it down once and for all and come into God's family, then this morning what I want you to do as we're taking the, the Lord's Supper is I just want you, you can just silently at your seat, You can just pray and you can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you can commit your life to him. You can do that in your seat. And if you do that, would you please come and talk to myself or come and talk to Thomas or or talk to Orion? Because we would love to help you take next steps. We want every single person in this church to be discipled. We want to walk with you. You're not on this journey alone. We want to help you grow in Christ's likeness. We want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. So let us help you do that. Please come and talk to us if you make the decision to follow Jesus this morning, all right?